you turn just quickly to the first book of Timothy? And I want to read something that we ministered. Um, oh, I think now it's, it was the first of October. So it's been a little while. And I used this verse, but I want to use it again. There's such a great thought here. And I want to read it to you out of the Greek translation word for word just because of, of a point. Second chapter, First Timothy, fifth verse. For God is one. For God is one. And one mediator of God and of men. The man, Christ Jesus. So it reads a little bit different than the English. God is one. And one mediator between God and man, and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The one having given himself a ransom on behalf of, of all. The testimony to be given in its own times. Lord, we just, we just come before you this morning, ask you to continue just bringing your presence touch in our life this morning, Jesus, I pray it will be ministered to as we give out your word, we know that it's not our word, but it's yours, it's the words of life, you said of yourself, you said my words, they are spirit and they are life, so we ask you that that life will just find a place inside of us this morning, amen, thank you Lord, thank you Lord, amen. Amen, amen. It is my hope, and I didn't talk to you, Pastor Rodney, that you were done with the um, the end of your sermon the other day. I hadn't heard, for many years, I hadn't heard that thought. That it, just, it just gripped my heart. Aaron ran out with the censer, and he stood between the living and the dead. Now, I've heard that preached, and probably you have too, several times if you've heard, you know, a lot of sermons, you've probably heard that one. But again, it just really sort of began to grip me to my heart, and I couldn't get off that thought. And so I'm going to extend where you were preaching. Hopefully you were done. Aaron went out with the censer, and he stopped, and God stopped the plague. But the point, he stood between the living and the dead. So I want to talk a little bit about standing between. Standing between. That's why I read this verse this morning about the mediator. And so we have broke this verse down several times before, but I, I just, again, there is, there is uh, if we talk about a, a theological verse, this has got to be one of them. 
First of all, it's going to use that terminology that we, we hold dear to our heart called the Shema. What is the most important um, verse or thought that comes out of the Scripture? What is it? Jesus answered it, Mark 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Now, if we're going we're gonna to set a cornerstone for theology, I, I think that's probably, that's probably working. But so, so God is, is one. God is one God. He's not a God of many thoughts, a God of many reasons, God of many personalities, and, you know, I know how I was raised. I know how you were raised. I just want to take the scripture. I, I, just, I just got to the point in my life that I said, you know what, fully on the rest of it, I'm taking the scripture. And so if it tells me that God is one, then I'm going to accept that and believe that. And so this verse, and then, then secondly, it goes on to say, and God is one mediator. Now, two or three, just one mediator, just one. Actually, this word can be the extension of mediation. There is one mediation. Takes me back to John 14. There is no access. There is no, no coming. Prost, Tom Patera, you're not getting, Jesus says, to what's in me unless you come through the man. Christ Jesus. You don't get to the Spirit without coming through the man. And that's why there is no other name by which you can be saved except the name of the man. And so, a go-between. You think about a mediator and, and mediation and, and this word, mesos, and it does have that, that sort of that idea of one between someone else. So now let me give you this picture of God and man and the gulf. Between God and man, the gulf. It's almost like between paradise and Tartarus. There's a goal fixed here, and it can't. There, there's something that has to be. You can't get from here to there. And man couldn't get from here to God without the in between. Can you say amen? And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. Aaron, what a great. You know, you look for 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 heroes of the faith. Have you ever gone into? Um, I think it's the 11th chapter of Hebrews where it talks it. We call it the Hall of, of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And it names the different ones and, and just the old biblical characters. It didn't, didn't call out Aaron, but, but he's one of them. This, this is an amazing thing that he did. I've, taking no regard for himself. Not knowing whether God would even accept the sacrifice, or whether God would strike him down, he runs with the censer 
and stands as a mediator between God and man. The living and the dead. And they're peeling over. They're just dying and dying. I mean, it just in a few minutes, how many thousand, 20,700, 40,700, and just, they're just dying, 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 dying. And he grabs that sensor and runs. Oh, man, what a hero. I'll tell you what. This guy, but he does it. And you think about this, it's not just the command of Moses, but he does it to preserve the nation. He's willing to risk his own life to preserve the nation. It's how important it is to him. And this guy is the, if we call him a big time preacher, he is the top of the list of the preachers. He is the high priest of all high priests that they know. And he will sacrifice his own life to run out there to save the people. I can't even imagine a big-time preacher right now in this day. A big-time preacher, you know, megachurch pastor, TV personality that would run between and put themselves in jeopardy even for their own family much less for the kingdom of God. Jesus had a word for these people. He called them hirelings because they're in it for the money. Any preacher that's in it for the money, he doesn't care when the wolf comes, he's not getting in between the wolf and the sheep. He's running. This is what Jesus said. A hireling's not going to care over the sheep. He's not going to take a club or he's not going to get a, a weapon of some kind and go after that wolf. He's just not going to do it. It's not his concern. His concern is the hire. And so money pollutes the ministry of the kingdom. But the true men of God, the truth, there were some even in the Old Testament time that sold out and they sold out the people of God, and they, they would not stand for the people of God, even though they were in ministry. But Aaron, top minister, top, if you had him here today, he would have the biggest church, the biggest program on TV, but he wouldn't be getting wealth out of it. He would stand between the people and death. And so I think about this man, he's, he's a great man, but... But many followed him in the Old Testament. I want you to listen to a few of these. There were men of God that acted just like Aaron did. They didn't do the exact same thing because it was the opportunity wasn't there for them to do that. But, but you think about Noah. Noah built an ark, and not only did he build this ark and hear God's voice and, and obey what God had told him to do, but, but Noah, in a sense, stood between the flood and his family. And the flood represented destruction. It re represented annihilation. And here's Noah out there building an ark. A hundred years building an ark. Preaching, preaching what he knew to be the gospel. And would stand between death and the living. Thank God for men like that. Abraham. You think about Abraham who pleaded with God. I 
when you read the story, that when he pled with God to spare Sodom because Lot was there, and he pled with God, and he said, if there's, if there's 50 there, will you save the city? And, and God said, I'll, I'll save it if there's 50. And there wasn't 50, and so Abraham said, I come again. He said, I come again, and if there's, I, I forget what nomination, denomination he said this time, but I think it was 30. If, if 30, yes, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll save it if there's 30. He got down to the place where he was embarrassed to even ask God again, but he pled with God. He stood between Lot's life and death. That's what men of God do. They stand between the living and the dead. And all of Sodom and Gomorrah is going to die. But Lot should have been thankful to Abraham that he contended with God even just to send the angels down to save him from that place. We've read a lot about Job. One of the things that I understood about him years ago, and, and, I, and I took it into my heart, Job had a bunch of party kids. They knew how to party. In fact, the Scripture said when when they were done partying, they, they were all slain on the day that the devil came and, and had his way and, and, and killed and took everything. They were having a party. Job, it said, sacrificed for his children just in case they sinned while they were in their party mess. So you can say a lot of things about Job, but the thing that Job did for his children was that he stood between death and life for his children and he sacrificed unto God for his children. Moses, the servant of God. I'm just talking about men that stood between. Moses, the servant of God, comes down off Mount Sinai. He's got the tablets. He's got the law of God and he's bringing down when he gets down there they are partying. They are worshiping the golden calves. And then, and then the, 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 the tablets are destroyed and, and Moses comes before God and God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll raise up a generation from you, Moses. And Moses fell before God and he stood between the dead and the living and he pleaded with God not to wipe them out. He said, God, if you wipe them out, then all of the nations around are going to gonna mock us and they're going to say, your God brought you out and then he had you destroyed. So God, please don't wipe them out. And for Moses' sake, God forgave him. That's a man of God. Can you say amen? That's a man of God. Why should he care? God made him a promise that he would raise up the nation from him. But Moses is a real servant of God. I like, and I read this scripture again in study just to make sure, because I remembered it this way. Young David, and David was not a child. He had already been in some battle. Uh, I'm going to assume that he was a young, strong man. Went out to see his brothers. The Philistines are on one side. Israel's on another the Philistines are, are barking out and cursing the people of God. And, 
and literally are going to wipe out Israel. They are going to wipe them out. They are stronger. They are bigger. They have giants. They have great warriors. They have the weapons. They're going to wipe them out. But here comes this young man, and a and, and youth, uh, not very experienced, and, and it said David got there, and he saw what was going on. The scripture said he ran out to meet the giant. I'm going to tell you what. Wow. Here's a man that has some concern. No wonder God loved this guy so much. Why did he do this? For his own sake? For his own fame? No, he, he just went out to see how the battle was going. And there he realizes if somebody doesn't stand between the living and the dead, they're going to be wiped out. So he runs at the giant, and in the name of the Lord, he brings him down, and God brought victory, and they were freed from the hand of the Philistines. The prophet Elijah stood before the face of the king and the queen, especially Jezebel, stood and affronted them, stood on Mount Carmel and killed all of their prophets of Baal and he stood literally between Judaism and a total collapse it looked like they were completely taken over and 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 God said I've got 7,000 he told him later I have 7,000 but it looks like he's going to stand all by himself nobody's with him but yet he's going to stand between the living and the dead got to bring a woman in for you women ladies also women of God can stand between the living and the dead Esther they're going to wipe out with genocide they're going to wipe out the Jews but this cannot happen because Christ is coming Abraham's seed through the Jews and so there has to be somebody that's going to stand up. And this time, it's a woman. And this woman is just, she doesn't do anything special. She's not a great warrior. She just is going to stand in the gap. She's going to stand in a place because Israel is going to be wiped out. And she is going to stand in, in, in the way of genocide and the gallows for the people of Israel. And God delivered. Amen. Got a couple more I just want to mention. Daniel and Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael. They're in captivity. They have been raised as God-fearing. They are Israeli nationalists. They love their country. They love their God. The order goes out, you will not pray. The order goes out, you will bow. You will conform. This isn't if and maybe you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to suffer the consequences of disobeying this king. But they are ready not only, not only to feel the consequences, but to give up their life for the cause. And I believe they did it as a larger example for those people who were in captivity. Hey, take faith in the Lord. Take faith in the Lord. See, God delivered him. and It became a great example of faith to those people. One day, they're going to go back home, but they've got to keep the faith. And so somebody stands there between the living and the dead. 
and many great others who in the Old Testament did this very same thing for their families, for their friends, different ones. They, the scripture called them men of great renown, of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that amazing? The world was not even worthy of these men and women. But of course, we've got to talk of the greatest one of all, the greatest man of all, the greatest man that ever lived. Sometimes I think we think of the Lord as sort of coming in flesh, but using his godliness, using his deity at the same time. And so we, we fail to picture him as, as a common man. And so the scripture, and Paul reveals us, or takes us back there, describes him as the mediator of God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when you think about that, he's all man. Do you believe that this morning, that he was all man? But yet at the same time, in him, all the fullness of the godness dwelled in him bodily. And so this, this strange union that we have a hard time understanding, how he could be God and be man at the same time. Well, I want you to know that in the flesh, he was man. That in the flesh, he got tired. That in the flesh, he got hungry. In the flesh, he was disappointed. In the flesh, his feelings were disturbed and hurt by those around him. In the flesh... He felt what it was like to suffer. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed. He was a man. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of affliction. He was a man of victory, though. He was a man who felt and knew what it was to be victorious over things, to see people blessed and healed and delivered. And what a thrill it must have been to him to see his brothers, mankind, also be ministered to. And, and so yet... He's this man, this mediator, this mesos, which, which puts him in between. And so even though he is all flesh and he's all man, he's living, breathing, moving. His blood is coursing through his natural body like you and I. He is nothing more than a man in the flesh. Yet he is the only hope between God and man. There is no other salvation. There is no other hope. There's no other way. Even though John Hagee says that the Israelites have the law and they can go through the law, I want to let you know this morning that that has been abolished and there is only one mediation between man and God and that is the body, the man Christ Jesus. You're not getting to God if you don't get to the man. God, come save me. No, not good enough. God, forgive me of my sin. Not good enough. Because you have to know the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other name by which there is salvation other than the name of Yeshua. Can you say amen? I love what Billy Graham did all his life. But I don't like what he did when he got older. He became an inclusionist. He was wanted to include everybody. He said, there's people getting saved that don't even know the name of Jesus. Well, I'm sorry. According to the scripture, that's not correct. Because there isn't salvation in any other name. 
So what name are you using? Well, I'm going to go by the law, and I'm going to say, God, forgive me my sin. God, forgive me my sin is not enough. You have to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have to know that He was born of God, that He died and He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. That's why the gospel has to be preached, is that we know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say amen? And so, let them be careful with this. It's not what He's doing in heaven right now that we're going to call mediation. See, we kind of got this strange idea. We took, some, we took some verses that we thought we knew what they meant. And we've got Jesus in heaven pleading to the Father 24-7. Always in inter- intercession. That's, that's the way we've got this fixed. Is that Jesus is in heaven... And he's just pleading over me. Oh, it's Rod today. Come on, Father, help Rod. And then the next one, the prayers, the millions of people are going on, and he's just interceding, interceding. No, his mediation work was done in the earth, not in the heaven. The man, Christ Jesus. There's no need for mediation in the heaven. There's need for mediation on the earth. Because he was a man, and because he did it on the earth, he deals with mankind on the earth. Once we get to heaven, hey, all the mediation, there's none there. Can you say amen? Don't need it there. I need it here. I won't have any faults there. I need it here. I won't have failures there. I need it right here. I won't have sickness in my body. I need it here, not there. I need the Lord's help in every situation of my life and all the troubles and trials and and questions and things that I go through. I need His help right here as a man. I need help. Can you say amen? And so what He did was mediate as a man. See, when Jesus appeared on the scene, The whole world was lost in trespasses and sin. All the world. Doomed to hell. All of them. There was no hope for the Gentile nations. They didn't even have the gospel. They didn't even have an Old Testament. They didn't have any prophets, any priests. They had nothing. I think Brother Dustin said this the other night, is that there was just one thing going on in that That was Israel. And that was only to bring in Christ. Israel was polluted. The high priesthood had been sold. It wasn't even legal what they were doing. I mean, even in the trial of Christ, I don't know if I said this openly to the church, but the other night I said this to somebody, even in the trial of Christ, Caiaphas' son-in-law became the next high priest. That's not how it works. It's a direct descendant from the high priest. But they sold and they bought, and, and that's why Jesus came into that house just kicking stuff over and tearing stuff. This thing is so far from God. It has been polluted. It has been sold and bought. The priesthood, the temple, the whole course of Judaism and God's religion for those people was completely turned upside down. And so you look at the world. The world was going to hell in a handbasket. And so was Israel. 
very few, just a few minute people were still holding on to the faith. The landscape of humanity was one of utter destruction. Millions of people all over the world dying, lost, going to a devil's hell. But one man, one man said, I'm going to stand between the living and the dead. And I, I think of this, I think it was Aaron who pulled the page out of the Lord's book to go stand between the living and the dead. And he did it this way. He went to rescue the perishing and head for the, for the dying. There's this old song that, that I can remember as a kid. It said, rescue the perishing, head for the dying. And he became the mediation for all who would believe in him that he is Yahshua, that he is Yahweh, our salvation. Everyone that believed in him, the plague is stopped. There's only one way to break the power of sin. Just one way. There's not a, there's not a rehab program to break sin. We tried it a lot of times with, with several disciples, and some of you are here, that, that some of them, they, they tried to rehab sin out of their life, and it just isn't going to happen. There's only one victory over sin. There's only one power over the plague of sin. There's only one power over death. And that is Jesus who ran out to the place where he would stand between life and death of the human race. And I thank God that he did. Can you say amen? And so God brought life in place of death. I like that. It says Jesus broke the back of evil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was there. Sin's power over me was taken away. Not in church. Not following an organization's rules. But it was there where Jesus hung on a cross between the dead and the living. And he brought life to those who would believe on him. It was there. Sin's power over me was taken away. You all were in sin, but it was there, only there. Otherwise, all you're doing is taking a vacation from sin. Oh, you're rehabbing yourself, but you're not going to take care of that sin problem. It will come back. But the power of sin is broken in your life by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. And His blood and His death as He stood there in between life and death. And you, Ephesians 2, and you. He's talking to first century Christians, but I'm talking to you this morning. And you who were dead, being dead in your trespasses and sins. And then it says you were walking after the world and after the flesh and after the lust of the flesh. In the spirit of disobedience, you were once the children of wrath. But God who is rich in mercy, but God, he saw our plight, but God, it was who stood in between the place of life and death, between paradise and between Tartarus. There he stands as the bridge of life for you and I. God, he has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. You're not on your own. 
Your good works aren't going to do it. All the things you've tried to be, the Lord just spoke in my heart the other day, quit trying so hard. Quit trying so hard. Quit, quit out thinking this thing. Jesus is our hope. It's that simple, folks. It's Jesus is our hope. He's our salvation. He's the determination of our future. He's the determination of my life. Oh, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to obey him, but the results are in his hand. Can you say amen? And the devil comes back and he says, yeah, you were in your trespasses and sin and look at him. Look how dirty. Look how rotten. Look how awful you were. Look at the failures of your life. But I heard the Lord say, come unto me all ye that labor are heavy laden and I'm going to give you rest and take my yoke upon you and there's going to be a difference in your life. You're going to change. Sin is not going to run your mortal body anymore. But Christ is alive together with us. Can you say amen? Colossians, the first chapter, 13th verse. Who delivered us out from under the authority of darkness. Paul said it this way. There's nobody in this building righteous. No, not one. No, not one. But he has taken the sins of us all. And he bore them. Between life and death. Thank God. We were in the kingdom of darkness. Don't act like you weren't. There's no need for that. No need for us to act like, well, we've been saved a long time. And, and you know, we were just good all. No, we weren't good all the time. We were in the kingdom of darkness. But he has, it, it, the King James Version or English version uses the word translated us. Really also means transferred us. We were in one kingdom. And we're not in that kingdom anymore. That's why those that are born of God don't sin. Can you say amen? We're not in the kingdom of sin anymore. Oh, you may have some troubles. There may maybe even John even allowed. If you do sin. But it's a rare case in our life that we would go there because we're not in that kingdom anymore. We have been delivered from the authority of darkness and have been transferred. And now we are, we are in a different kingdom. We're walking side by side with people in this world. And somebody said, what's the difference between you and the next person? I'm not in their kingdom. I'm in the kingdom that I've been transferred to by the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm in the kingdom. Of the beloved son. Wow. Sometimes you don't feel that way, right? How many? I'm just going to take a little show of hands right here. So, so everybody get ready. How many there's times that you don't really feel like that you're in the kingdom? I'm going to lift my hand right up there because stuff happens. Disappointments and. But I want you to know this, that God is greater than our heart. <laughs> God is greater than our heart. He said, I've been transferred. Then I'm not part of the devil's kingdom anymore. Oh, I might have used to been, but I'm not anymore. Thank God I'm not what I was. I'm not what I'm going to be because I'm being, I'm being worked on and I'm being molded and shaped into the image of the Lord. But thank God I'm not what I was. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not going back. I can't go back to what I used to be before the presence of God changed my life. Thank God He has done that. All because 
He stood between the living and the dead. Now, I'm going to talk about us just a little bit before we go. First Timothy, the third chapter and the 15th verse, I often refer to the 16th verse. This says, and God was manifested in flesh. I often refer to that. He was seen of angels, justified in spirit. But the verse right before that is pretty powerful too. Paul's talking to the church, talking to Timothy, relay it to the church. I want you to know how to act and behave in the house of God. Is that okay? I mean, is that something we should do? Is there a behavior in the house of God, or do we just all come in here and do everything, anything you want to do? Now, granted, I have been in those kind of services, and I never want to be in another one. And everybody just kind of did whatever they thought. And they call it Holy Ghost, and so everything was good. No, 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 I don't want that. There's a behavior in the house of God. But then he goes on to establish something here that, that is so powerful. Don't miss this. Which is the ecclesia, the church of the living God, the house of God, the church of the living God, pillar and basis of truth. The English version says foundation of truth. I started out this morning and, and I, I am more believing this than when I first began. We need each other. It's not optional. We need the body of Christ. And so, it, we're just one part, a piece, one body. And there's a lot of other, like I say, there's a lot of churches everywhere around here. And God bless them all. But everyone needs the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is the pillar and foundation, the basis of truth in the world. Government is not the basis of truth. As much as we liked Rush Limbaugh, the truth detector, Rush was not the basis of truth. So I want you to visualize just for a moment, just visualize the world, the landscape of the world again. It's on a path to hell with no chance, no hope of recovery. Oh, I know what. We'll get Trump in for another four years. No, no, no that's nothing, nothing to do with this at all. The world's in a bad place. When they call things wicked, righteous, we're in a bad place. And that's going on. Just, uh, it's, just, it's just, you know, it's incredible just day after day seeing that kind of stuff go on. I want you to know this, though. In the church, the pillar and foundation of truth, there is not one single person that has all truth. <clears throat> Mark Hamby said this years ago, and I, and I so agree with this. Just because you have some truth doesn't mean you have all truth. 
speaking of organizations and denominations and, and gathering together of people. What we have done is, children, we, we, we said this when we got here, the Lord, Lord help us. We're still on this mission. I don't know what's going to happen, but we've had a couple of setbacks. But the Lord only has one church. He, he doesn't have a multiplicity of churches. He has local bodies, but there is one great, greater church made up of the local bodies. But not one denomination or organization has that truth. I believe this that it's a, a cumulative church that holds the basis of truth. I don't think we here at what well, we say echoes. I don't think we here have the truth. Oh, you know, all truth. But the accumulation, if you could get the whole body of Christ together on the earth, there you would find the foundation and basis of truth in the earth. The body of Christ, Brother Dustin. So we're a segment, we're a piece, but it's foolish for us to say that we have all truth when we are not collected together, cumulative with the whole ecclesia. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we took the whole ecclesia of God and put it together there, you're going to find the basis and foundation of all the truth that God has set forward in this earth. And so Jesus said to us, he really said it to the first century church, because they were the whole church in Jerusalem where it started. He said to them, you are the light of the world. The world is set in darkness, Jesus said. The world is steeped in darkness. But you are the light of the world. That's interesting. I've always wondered about that because Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Remember that? I am the light of the world. But I'm going away. But truth and life is still going to be in the world through his body called the church. Never has there been a time in history when the church has been wiped out. They've tried it. They've attacked it. They've took the ministers. They've burned them at the stakes. They've taken all the Bibles they could find and burned them. They've arrested men and women. They're still doing it across the world today. Arrested, trying. You don't stamp the gospel out by arresting it. All you do is spread it by arresting it. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example right now. What's happening to Trump right now? Every time he goes to court, his favor gains. Why is that? It's because the people are seeing that's wrong. That, that shouldn't happen like that. I'm going to tell you something about the church. Every time they try and stamp the church out, it just gains favor. And the Lord has it that way. So you can't bring the church down from the outside. It can only come down from the inside. And that's what's been happening for some period of time. But the church stands between the living and the dead. That's the only thing that stands in this world between the living and the dead is the church. I, I don't know. I'm not there. I, people are seeing visions of Jesus and giving their life to Jesus and different things. And 
I, I don't know all about that, but I do know that the church is here to spread the light of the gospel. Can you say amen? I do know that's what we're to do. And so, I, w- I want to say something now about this body, and just real quick, because the church stands between the living and the dead. We're not the whole church. We're not, you know, I already said we're not 100%, you know, have all truth and all that. But this local church has been accused of being too hard. We've been accused of not being loving and understanding enough. We have been accused of not caring about people enough. But I've got an answer for that. Because a watered-down, people-pleasing gospel is powerless to save the lives that are being lost. Now, our impact is small. We are, we're not huge. And, and moving here, we just about, you know, cut the church in half. But of, of the amount of people, maybe, influence that we had. But, but I want you to know this. I'm not looking to gain numbers as much as I am looking to gain a reputation that we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether people like it or don't like it, they're interested, not interested, hate it, don't want anything to do with it, never come through the front door of your church. I don't care about that. I just want to know this, that we're preaching something that stands between death and life for people who need help, who need deliverance, who need the Lord, who need salvation, need their life changed. God, do we have a message that's going to do that? We've tried to stay with that the best that we possibly can. The church, again, is just a collection of born-again believers in process of following our Lord's example. So I just want to briefly talk about us as individuals. So what we talked about, the men of old, you know, great renown. The world was not worthy. Some of those men, women. But what about me? Has God set it up that we can stand between the living and the dead? Personally. I believe he has. We are a collection together. We are the church. We are the basis of, of, of truth, the pillar, and strength in the world. But that's also the individual. See, the church, it's made up of individuals. We all together come together. But who comes together? Individuals come together. And those individuals, they make up the ecclesia of God. I'm going to use something that I heard Tommy Barnett say so many, 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 many years ago. I wasn't even pastoring then. I think if so, that's a long, almost 30 years ago. We went to his conference, and he said this has always stuck with me. All you need to do is evangelize your world. Don't worry about getting out here and going here and there and everywhere and trying to evangelize. Evangelize your world, which means, first of all, my family. There was a time when preachers felt like that they needed to go evangelize other people and let their family go. That's not right. That doesn't work out ever. 
But a real man of God is going to first start in his home. That's what the apostle said. If you can't, if you can't deal with your home, how are you going to deal with in the, in the corporate body of Christ? So the first place we're going to stand between life and death is in our children. Don't you give up. Don't you lay down. Don't you quit. Don't you change because you're going to stand between life and death for your children. It's not over till it's over. It might look like, it may seem like, all, all, all circumstances seem to turn this way is that it's not going right they're not going to they're not going to repent they're not going to come in but i want you to know this god has given us the ability also to stand between we become mediators in our homes that's what god has anointed us to do first don't worry about the world don't worry about all those people out there you keep on believing that god is going to use you to mediate right in your home Right in your family, that's your first obligation. We've got our friends. And some of them may be believers, some of them may not be believers. And who's going to stand for them? Who's going to stand between them and death? And I know you can't make anybody do anything, but, but I believe that God can give you an authority in your home, an authority in your world to stand to stand on our jobs. We go out in the world on our jobs. I don't anymore. I said to the Lord the other day, my, my world got smaller because I'm not out on the job anymore and I don't see a lot of people like I used to see and, and I'm not able to witness to those people anymore. But you are and you go out to that job and they're lost and they're dying and they're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna suffer the plague of sin and death. But you have the right, you have the right to stand there in the way of sin and death and the penalty and give life, give light, give help. I believe God can anoint you for those around you to touch their lives. Our schools, or the places we go, the places we visit. I believe God wants us to become mediators in those places. Can you say amen? Amen, amen, amen. Well, some of you said amen, but I, I just believe it anyway. It's, 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 the, it's the way that God does. And so, I've read the gospel. I know you have too. I've read the New Testament. I, I don't know how many times. I've read the words of Jesus. I've read the apostles' epistles. But I never in one time anywhere saw them change their message for anyone. In fact, they came to the Lord and they said, Lord, you are not a respecter of persons. That's the one thing about him. Peter found that out later at Cornelius' house. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. We are. But he's not. They didn't change their message for anyone from, from the common people to the priest. Jesus never changed his message. From the very, very poor to the extravagant and wealthy, message is the same. Friend or foe, message is the same. Relative, kinfolks or strangers, the message stayed the same. Because there's only one message that's going to deliver you from sin 
And it's not a compromised one. It's not a wet down one. It's not one that makes it easy and softer for everybody to get in. Hey, straight is the way. Narrow is the way. Straight is the gate. You're not getting through there in the easy life. You're going to come through the gate. Can you say amen? And so because this is the only message that will stop the plague, we implore you, our fellow Christian believers, men and women, young people in this body, don't compromise the message. Don't give in to the whims and opinions of people. Everybody's got an opinion. But there's just one message that saves. Can you say amen? Oh, we've got to stand with that. Because I can see that if we try and save souls and stand between and come become mediators of a gospel that doesn't deliver people from sin, we have done nothing. They're still going to go to hell. Sit in the church, smile at them, greet them, make them feel good, uh, make sure they're comfortable, and reassure them that they're saved. And if they have not been born again, we haven't achieved anything in their life. So what we want to do is stay with the message. Can you say amen? What we want to do is stand as mediators between this world. I'll tell you, the church world is going crazy. But somebody's got to stand up with a message that's going to save the lost. And we're going to stand with that message in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? And so Paul, and I'm going to end it with this too, and and, and Paul said this. When you've done all to stand, I think there's nothing, nothing else I can do. Oh, there is something still that you can do. Stand, therefore. Oh, it looks like I've stood there and and I've wasted my time and it's not going to happen. No, stand, therefore. Because God has commissioned us to stand as mediators. Can you say amen? One of the places Paul says we have become reconciliators, which basically is the same thing, you and I. Boy, I never thought I could be anything much. You can be a mediator for somebody. Can you say amen? Lead them to Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would. Praise you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you, O God, for this great time that we have had together. I've done my best. I've done my best to honor you, to lift you up. Lord, and then, Lord, to encourage us to follow in your example. And so, Lord, we're going to do the best we can. Cause us to have an anointing like you had, Lord, of mediation. Lord, with the message that you gave. And I pray, Lord, that families, there are those here this morning whose kids, whose kids have gone astray. There's those here this morning whose relatives, friends, loved ones have gone astray. They're not right. And, Lord, the enemy would come and say, oh, just just make the message where they can receive it. No, we keep the message, Lord. And we believe that you're going to deliver. We believe, oh, God, that you're going to anoint each one in this house this morning to stand as a minister, a minister of reconciliation to people. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.